The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. There were two settlements or two kibbutzim that the terrorists came to the kibbutz and they got to the door of the kibbutz and the kibbutz was locked. It was locked and it was closed for Shabbat. And the members of, and therefore the terrorists said, okay, we're not going to bother here. And they went to a different kibbutz and no one in that kibbutz was touched. There's another story of another kibbutz, another settlement that had a, that had just decided a few weeks ago to close for Shabbat. And sure enough, they had their gates closed and the terrorists came and the Jews inside yelled and the terrorists ran away and no one in the kibbutz was touched. There's another story. There's an area called Ofakim. Ofakim, half the settlement is Shomer Shabbat, and the other half of the settlement is not. The terrorists drove trucks into the middle of the settlement, and all of them got out of the trucks and went to the not Shomer Shabbat side. They did not touch the Shomer Shabbat side. So much so that someone that I know spoke to someone who lives in Ofakim, and he said, we were actually walking around in the afternoon. Our shoes were, our shoes were jammed. And we walk around in the afternoon. We didn't even know that something happened on the other side. I don't understand how the story makes sense, but that's what he said. There's another settlement that is not Shomer Shabbat. And the way the terrorists got in is the gate opened because a Jew was driving his car in and the terrorists followed the car into the settlement. There's another story. There's a crossroads that terrorists clearly went on, and they could either go to what I said where the not Shomer Shabbat settlements, or there was one of the biggest and most important yeshivot in Israel called Tifrach. That yeshiva had in it, on that day, Simchat Torah, 1,200 yeshiva students. The terrorists never went on that road. They never got there. Or I'll tell you another story. There's a girl who was observed, she grew up religious, and then went off the path. And her mother said, please, you have to do something for Hashem. She said, no, I'm going to the rave. It's the biggest party of the year. I'm going to the rave. I'm going to the party. Her mother said, can you do me one favor? At the rave, can you at least on Friday night make Kiddush? In the middle of the whole party, she suddenly realized, I forgot to make Kiddush. She looks for wine. She can't find any wine. She says, I'm going to go up to my room to make Kiddush because I promised it to my mother. She goes up to her room, she makes Kiddush, and that's when the terrorists arrived, and she missed the entire thing. There's another story. There's a driver who's a Kiloni guy, irreligious person, who goes and drives people to rabbis to get Berachot in Israel. And he does this constantly. A few months ago, he was driving a rabbi to other rabbis to get blessings, and the rabbi says to the driver, why don't you come in and get a blessing too? He said, no, I need I need I don't do that. That's not my thing. So the rabbi in the car says to him, why don't you at least do something? He says, at least try to observe Shabbat. The man said, you know what? I'm going to try to work a little bit on observing Shabbat. Now the rave is coming. He has every friend of his telling you this is the party of the year you have to come. He said, we're so tempted because he lives near there. He decided right before he's taking his family to Haifa and he said, spread Shabbat in Haifa. And his life was saved, obviously. Someone sent me a video of a woman who's speaking on a talk show host, at a talk show, and she tells the host, she says, I live in a settlement. She says, it's Saturday morning on October 7th. She says, this is in Hebrew. 
and I have a little hole through my door and I see commotion outside my door. I look through the hole in my door and I see seven terrorists outside my door. She says, I go to get two knives, I guess from the kitchen. She says, and I'm looking at this hole and they're about to come into my house and destroy my family. I have two knives. Like, what's two knives going to do with seven terrorists with guns? And she tells the story. So I looked up to Hashem and I said, Hashem, for the rest of my life, I promise I will keep Shabbat. She says, I looked down and the terrorists were gone. And my entire family was saved. And then this one more story is the one that I guess got to me. Last Wednesday after the class, I did a video. Organizations sometimes like rabbis to speak on the organization. So there's an organization that's for people with cancer that wanted me to speak and give inspiration to those people. So they always come down to me or wherever any rabbi they're coming to. Okay, guys, come meet me here. And you record me for a few minutes and then I'll continue doing my day or whatever I want to do. It's not really that disruptive. They set up the camera. I turn to the camera, talk for 10 minutes, go back to the day. It's basically like that. The man who came to set it up had like Hasidi, Hasid Peot. I said, wow, you're Hasidish? He said, but nothing about him looked Hasidish. He said, no, I'm not Hasidish, but I have these Peot. Like down to here. I said, why do you have these Peot if you're not Hasidish? Like, I don't know if it's fashion. He says, he says, I'll tell you my story. He says, I grew up very religious and then I completely went off the path. I moved to Israel. I put on a ponytail. I completely went off the path. I partied, drank, drugs, everything completely gone. She says, I met my wife. She was a little more religious than me. Long story short, we became religious. We became Shomer Shabbat, and I became fully religious. And when I cut my ponytail, I had these peots still, and it kind of kept the bad people away from me. Like, I guess they realized not who I used to be. And so I decided to keep them, even though I'm not like a Hasid, but I decided to keep them so people know where I stand. And today he's married with kids that maybe lives in Muncie. There's a bunch of children. Wonderful, beautiful. Okay, wow, very nice. So now, me, you piqued my interest. You were once religious. You weren't religious. How irreligious were you? I want to know what he do. Which drugs did you take? Whatever. So I'm asking him all kinds of questions. And he then <laughs> tells me, he says, you know, I have a friend who was supposed to be at that rave at that party. I said, really? I said, like, what's the story? He says, a few months ago, this friend decided that he's going to stop going to parties on Shabbat. But his manager from Tel Aviv kept telling him, this party's different. You got to come to this party. This is the craziest party you have to come. He says, my friend softened up. And a week before the rave, he told his manager, he says, I'm not going to come to this one. But the next time there's a party like this, maybe I'll come. And so he went with his family and he stayed home. He lived. His manager went to the party and was killed. So now here I am. Here's a man. This is not one of the famous stories. And I have a man telling me the story. I said, okay, maybe Hashem, maybe it's time for me to stop being blind. And maybe it's time for me to realize that there are so many stories that seem to all point to the same theme. Maybe we have a job to open our eyes. Not to be judges, but to be learners. Not to be the person who decides the reason. We're not reason givers. We're not prophets. But we could be people that take lessons and that listen and hear. And the beauty of what we've watched for the last four weeks is that most of Am Yisrael is listening. And most of Am Yisrael is paying attention. 
And so many factions of Am Yisrael that maybe didn't leave, believe before, now are trying. And I'll give you one last example. I was in Boston on Sunday for a speech. The man picks me up, picks me up, a wonderful man, picks me up from the airport. Anyhow, then he hands me his phone because his son is in the Israeli army. So he has a picture on the phone of like six guys, six soldiers together. And he says, that's my son all the way on the left. So I look at the picture on the left, and I see his son looks like a regular soldier. But the guy standing right next to his son is wearing talet and tefillin. So I said, is that the guy, your son, the talet guy? He said, no, 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 my son wears talet and tefillin every day, of course, he's a religious kid. I said, so who's this guy? He says, my son every day now in the army is giving away his tefillin to seven or eight people every single day because there's so many people that want to share in it. You haven't seen one video like this. You've seen a hundred like this. Because Am Yisrael, when it comes down to it, we do pay attention. So you could be the kind of person that says, nah, don't give me any reasons. I don't want any reasons. I don't want to hear any of this. Hashem just does what He does. And it's a way of keeping yourself blind and saying, I don't really want to work on anything. Or if I work on something, I'll work on the easiest thing there is to do. I'll pray. I'll say a few more chapters of Tehillim. And I don't have to be responsible for anything at all. I'll say a little more praying, and I'll move on. And then there are people that open their eyes. There are people that are the descendants of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and know that belief in Hashem is unconditional. And sometimes Hashem talks to us. Even when He doesn't give us the reasons, He often gives us a message. And in your own personal life, if you will pay attention, you can often see messages that Hashem wants something from you. In our life as a community and as a nation, we also have to be able to see sometimes that Hashem wants something from you. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.